All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Tuesday, July 12th of 2022. Thank you for tuning into the stream here today. My name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at Saber Sim, and Office Hours is an open QA style show where I answer questions from the Saber Sim community about how to better use our tools. Uh, to build your DFS lineups. If you have questions you want me to answer on this show, uh, you can po post them into our Slack channel, the Office Hours channel in Slack. Uh, if you're not already in Slack, there's a link to join in the description of every past show. If you're joining me live here today, welcome, live audience. Uh, you can always post your questions live into YouTube chat here. Uh, and you can also email us, support at sabersim.com, uh, to ask questions to be answered on this show. We've got a handful of different questions here today uh, to tackle. We'll start things off with a short demo of using our entry editor uh, on FanDuel on a mobile device. Um, there was a question about how to get that done coming in here today. Uh, a couple interesting question about balancing um, wanting my lineups uh, to do well versus like going on here and, and providing advice, which I think is an interesting question. I think a fair question. Uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, another question about uh, missing players from the player pool and golf contest selection. Um, so a, a variety of different questions here for today. Today. As always, if you have questions, fire away at me now. Um, go ahead and post them into uh, into the channels here, and we will get started. But um, I want to actually start here with a question from uh, from you four, um, and a little bit tricky here to identify exactly what's going on. Um, I'll, I'll read over this question or at least summarize it here kind of quickly. Um, but the question says, I'm trying to upload a CSV for FanDuel, doing it from the Android. Um, and I'm going to, it looks like maybe just running into a variety of different issues here. Um, so what I think would probably be most helpful is I'm just going to demo this as best I can here. Um, I mean, one thing to bear in mind, I'm doing, going to use my computer and then emulate a Galaxy S20 on Firefox here to do this demo. Um, I think it should work still, right? I, I think it should be okay. Um, but it might not be exactly the experience you have on your phone, but I think maybe just seeing this here, um, you can maybe see a little bit better what's what's going on. Um, so, um, okay, so we have the slate pulled up. I mean, the first thing you would do is get your entries file uploaded. So I'm gonna assume you're already reserved into your contest. It sounds like in this case you are. Um, so if you click download template file from FanDuel, it is going to take you to the upcoming tab on FanDuel, um, which I actually already have up here. Um, or actually not quite, but it's going to take you to this particular page on FanDuel. Um, what? Okay, hold on. FanDuel's first going to ask me to do this. This might have something to do with the fact that I'm emulating. Hmm. Let's see. They might not like this. Nope. Okay, it worked. You typically won't see that. I'm seeing that here, I think, because I am... Uh, oh. Okay, a little bit of a false start here. I don't think FanDuel likes the way I'm doing this. Let's see if I can do it this way. I've been getting this a lot lately. I don't know if you guys have, um, but FanDuel seems to be pretty convinced that I'm a robot. Um, I've even been getting this just when I'm putting my final lineups in here. What is going on?
Okay. Okay. It seemed to have worked. We seem to be good. I mean, okay. So I guess the, the main point I wanted to make here anyway, is that when it comes to downloading your entries file, so if you're actually in the, uh, like mobile view, you won't actually see the button you need to press to download that CSV. So on your phone, there's typically a settings. So on an Android, there's a settings button down at the bottom. And if you click that, it's like the bottom right, uh, you can say show as desktop view or, or desktop version or something like that. And if you do that, then you will get to see the desktop version on your phone and you click this CSV edit button, right? This is gonna pull up the, the pop-up button here. And once this loads, you can download your CSV. Keep in mind, right, for me, this is just downloading to my downloads folder on my computer. On your phone, this might do something different, right? Um, it might it might download to a different folder that you don't expect. So you may want to see, like, there's normally an option that you can say show in folder or open file location or something like that. So you can see it there. Um, it might also open the file, right? It might just open the CSV. Maybe maybe that, that sounds like maybe that's what's happening here. It's opening in Google Sheets or something like that. If it opens your file, you can typically just immediately save it to somewhere that you want on your phone, right? But it'll either, it'll generally save, possibly open the file. You're good to go. You got it there. Then you can come back here, right? You'll want to find that file that you had just downloaded and upload your entries. And now uh, I need lineups. So I'm going to just quickly build 150 here to make this relatively straightforward here. Not worrying for, for this example too much about who's ending up in these lineups. So we'll build these. And uh, we'll go from there. Should be a fun slate tonight. One of those big Tuesday slates here on tap. Um, haven't really dug in too much here to tonight's slate in particular. So excited, excited to get into it. Coors Field on the slate again here tonight. Um, better pitcher for the Rockies, worse pitcher for the Padres. Interested to see how things shake out a little bit. And that's, that's a, uh, not um, necessarily trying to slander Mike Clevenger or anything like that. Um, but uh, I think Sean Manet has at least been a better pitcher this season. So I'm interested to see how the, the, uh, the ownership works out here um, for tonight's slate. But anyway, so you have this build here. The nice thing now with the recent update, you can just fill this directly from this page here. Um, I'm just going to basically fill all of my entries. Obviously, you can change this, customize as needed, uh, and then fill all entries. Um, in my experience, the download and open on mobile um, down here at the bottom works somewhat inconsistently. And typically, I'll have the upcoming tab still open in another tab. So I always just click download, which will download a new entries file. And then I just manually go back over to upload that particular file to FanDuel. Again, this would be, you, you know, you'd be looking at this on your phone. So this is the desktop version. Um, and then you should be good to go. And um, that is basically how it's done. So I mean, a couple things the, the the situations where I feel like on a phone, people always get tripped up. One is setting it to a desktop view. So you can see this CSV edit button in the first place, right? Very important step. And then two, understanding where your files are saving to, or if they are potentially opening instead of saving, right? Um, a lot of that is phone specific, right? If you've set different settings in your browser setting or your phone settings or something to do that, I can't necessarily 
be totally certain on how to fix that for you. But just, you know, I that's that's gonna big thing is figuring out where that file's saving. But otherwise should be pretty straightforward from there. So U4, I hope that was a little bit helpful. Um, we do have here in our support documentation, uh, we have a uh a video here. Let me find it. Um so how do I get my Linus into my contest on my FanDuel on FanDuel on my phone? So I recorded this video here. This is this is not up to date with the very most recent version of the app. So it's a slightly different version of the app. But the good news here is on this video, I actually recorded this on my actual Android. So it will look a little bit more similar to what you're maybe experiencing. And that would probably be uh the easiest way to to handle that. So um I checked that out and hopefully you get hopefully you're all set hopefully that works everything out there so um okay cool um so a couple other questions here let's keep it going first of all um interesting one from troubles um and uh i'll just touch on this quickly here um but he said do you anticipate saber some support for rainmakers football once we know more about the game they've said it will be the same storing structure as dfs i hadn't even heard of this until this morning uh, for those out there that also are like, what is this? Uh, DraftKings, it sounds like, is coming out with an NFT-based like DFS product. Um, so I I don't know. I, I would say I would not expect us to have support for it early. Uh, a lot of times with these things, we before we in invest resources to supporting it, uh, kind of want to see how, how much staying power that contest or game type has itself. Um, so if it's popular, if people like it, and if it sticks around, I could see us supporting it in the future. Um, it also depends on a little bit on what's, I guess, involved for us. If it if it's just basically like a different contest type or a different slate type uh, for NFL DFS, it's a little bit easier to support it than like a, a totally different game. So um, we'll see what it looks like, but it will depend a lot on how popular it is, how much interest there is in us supporting it, and how likely it looks like it is to stick around. So. Um, but I had, I had never heard of it um, before today. So if you're interested, uh, especially if you like NFTs or, or um, NFT games in particular, maybe go check it out because it uh, looks, like, looks pretty interesting, I guess, at least. So um, Willie said the easiest way to upload on a phone is to buy a laptop. <laughs> yeah, it just might be. I mean, I would recommend, you know, obviously, if you have both at your disposal here, um, you're going to have a lot easier time doing everything on the computer. But we have tried to make the app as simple as possible, as easy as possible to use on uh, a mobile device. So always happy to help answer those kinds of questions. Um, and then a question from Troubles here um, about a missing player in the player pool from NASCAR last week. Um, he said a question on uh, NASCAR. Trey Burke wasn't in the Saberson roster for one of those weekend's races and then tried to manually add him, um, but it wouldn't recognize that player. Um, honestly, so like in general, if there's a player that you see is missing from our player pool on our app, that is definitely in the player pool on the site. I would just either let us know in the support channel um, or email us support at sabersim.com. There's not really a good workaround. Like I know you mentioned, is there a workaround? Not really. That that's on us. Like that that's something that we need to get fixed. Um, so I would just let us know um, 
as quickly as possible um, so we can get that fixed on our end, right? That's not that's not something that we want you guys having to be figuring out how you're going to work around it. We the we should have every player that's projected and playing in the player pool on our app. And sometimes we might miss somebody and we can typically get them added pretty easy on our end on the back end. So if you notice that situation, you can also use the report a problem link up here, um, which will send an email to the support team and get that fixed. So, um, but, uh, and then, okay, cool. And then an interesting question here uh, from uh, Amadon um, about golf contest selection. Uh, and first of all, um, so he said, any suggestions uh, in regards to contest selection with the open championship on DK? So first things first, I had sent over the DFS profit plan video um, in Slack. And I'd start here, right? Any contest selection questions you have going forward, I would I would pretty much always start with this video here. Um, this is, uh, why is this so big? This looks really big. But um, our DFS profit plan, right? So this is this is based on the results of our contest simulations, um, our best overall practice of, of how we recommend you enter contest. Uh, the examples given in here because it's it's baseball season. I know it's also golf season, but um, I guess it's baseball season first, right? Uh, the examples in this video are all for baseball, but you should be able to apply. They're all for baseball and for DK, but you should be able to apply the concepts of this video here to. Uh, golf to FanDuel to other things like that. So I'd start, I'd watch this video, um, but I thought, you know, real quickly, we could just take a look at the lobby here and talk about how this kind of works. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do this pretty quickly and I'm going to kind of assume that people are somewhat familiar with what is covered in that video. Um, but um, let's talk about this here. Here I am clicking uh, MLB by default anyway. So, um, okay. So looking at this, right. So let's say you had, let's say you were looking to play a hundred bucks, right? Um, based on the rules of the DFS profit plan, we would want to put 50 to $75 of that into diversifier contests, right? Those would be 20 max, 150 max contests. And we're going to do it lowest to highest entry fee. So what I typically like to do is I'll cap this here just to limit the contests here. Um, and I'm going to click tournaments and guaranteed only, right? We're only playing GPPs and then lowest, highest entry fee. Um, so one thing that would be different than what you saw in this video. So for golf and particularly for majors, they actually they actually do have like a true dime time contest um, in the original DFS profit plan video. I mentioned I don't really like to use these super small field dime times as diversifiers just because they're the prize pools are so small, uh, but a $5,000 prize pool is a legitimate contest. So I would probably start with entering uh, this dime time. So um, I'll kind of show you how we'd go about doing this here. I'm just going to go ahead and just put a, basically a placeholder in here. And we can enter this. And then we are looking to come up with 50, basically if we're playing a hundred dollars for this tournament, right? We want 50 to $75 in 20 max and 150 maxes filled lowest highest entry fee. So let's go ahead and start filling the rest of these here, right? So I would fill 19 entries into the dime time. Then I would probably fill 20 into the quarter jukebox here. Um, gets a little bit awkward because I staked my claim into the mini max here early um, just because I wanted to get into it before it filled. Um, looks like I had plenty of time, but I had already entered that there. Um, so the next contest that I would probably enter would be into that contest, right? Um, but I'm already maxed. I'm already entered there, right? But I would, I would play lineups into that contest until I reached... Actually... 
now I'm, I'm hopefully I'm not going to confuse anybody. One of the rules of the DFS profit plan is that you should go up in stakes to fill a contest uh, before you uh, don't fill a contest at lower stakes, right? And because filling the mini max would cost $75, that would put us over the $75 we want to play maximum in diversifiers. I would actually end up playing 20 into the short game here and then probably another 40 or so lineups into the mini max from there. And then my diversifiers would be full, right? Uh, so that would be what I would play there. And then I would play the remaining balance, uh, another 25-ish dollars into elevator contests, right? Soft fields, uh, high effective entrance, single entry, and three max contests. Um, and the way I typically do that is, again, set that equal to five here. Um, and then lowest to highest entry fee. So single entries first, I would play the divot here. Then check the three entry maxes and play the three put, three putt, and then play the hybrid, and then probably fill both of these caddies. And I would be pretty close, if not capped out there. Again, it's awkward because I'm I'm already entered into the mini maxes, so they're not showing up at the the total up here. But um, again, general rule of thumb, right, is uh, a determine what your your wager is right your daily your your wager that you're playing for that event 50 to 75 percent of that should go into your diversifier contests that'll be 20 maxes and 150 maxes filled lowest highest entry fee and then 25 percent to 50 percent uh into your elevator contests and then you should be good to go um i think this might if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I feel like this might have only served to confuse you more. So I would definitely go back and watch the DFS profit plan video on YouTube, which is a way more cohesive and clear explanation of what we're doing here and why. Um, but for those that maybe have already seen the DFS profit plan video and are curious of how you might apply that to the golf lobby, hopefully that was somewhat helpful. Um, so let's go ahead here and keep it going. Um, and I'm going to jump over to YouTube chat here real quick. Um, Patrick had said, did I notice we had a showdown slate over the weekend for WNBA or am I crazy? Um, and then said big slate tonight, 10K top prize. Be cool if you could upload the roster and salaries. No need for full support yet. Uh, somebody else mentioned that as well. Um, and I was surprised by that. I, I don't know how that would have happened. Um, but it sounds like it did. Um, I don't know if it would have worked. I imagine the builder probably wouldn't have worked. Um, I We don't have a WMB, a WNBA support as it stands right now. Now, it is our goal to eventually pull those slates up into the app and then probably even have simulations maybe at some point for WNBA. Um, it is not as easy or trivial as it sounds to get the slates uploaded even without sims just because most importantly, it requires us to make sure that we have a lineup builder that works for that sport. So it's on our list to support WNBA, at least to that capacity. Um, but I don't have an estimated time of, of when we would have that ready. And just to be transparent, it's it's not a huge priority for us, given the size of the DFS sport compared to doing other things like um, working on baseball, golf, um, even uh, NFL coming up here around the corner pretty quick. So, um, but... Um, and then Aaron says, is it okay to use projected score in some smaller contests? Um, it can be, I, I mean, I think it, yes, it's, it's probably fine. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're building for a 
single entry contest, right? Or a three max, like, right? Some smaller field kinds of contests, right? I mean, you're going to see that, you know, even, even what is implied by the sliders is basically saying, you know, average projections are a little bit better for the purposes of this contest. And you need to be concerned about ownership a little bit less here, right? So you can get away with, you know, kind of valuing that type of information a little bit more. Sorting by projected score instead of Sabre score at the end is probably just going to, you know, it's probably going to reduce your upside a tad and increase your average outcomes, increase your min cash equity a little bit more. Um, this is an interesting question because it's, it says, is it okay to use projected score? And I would say it's probably okay. Is it optimal? I don't think so because the saber score is based, saber score is based on the sliders anyway. So when you build lineups for a single entry and sort by saber score, that saber score is, is con is contextualized to the contest that you're playing. So it's saying these are the best lineups that you can play for this small field single entry. It's kind of already taking that into account. When you come over here and sort by projected score um, instead, oh man, did you guys see how fast that was? By the way, I'm just going to interrupt myself real quick here. Uh, if you missed it, we uh, we pushed a release yesterday uh, that we're basically calling a big performance update. So uh, just speed of using the app overall should just be way faster. Uh, one of the things that just got a lot faster overall is um, how quickly editing projections and exposures and things like that on the post-build process actually affects your lineups. Um, and just just doing this every single day on stream, uh, it feels way faster, way less sticky here, which is awesome. So um, anyway, but yeah, so like these highest saver score lineups are kind of already adjusted for the contest that you're playing. So, I mean, sorting by projected score, is it going to kill you? No, because the entire pool of lineups in your pool is optimized for this contest anyway. So you're probably still going to get pretty good results, but is it optimal? Probably not. Saber score is probably going to do a little bit of a better job. Um, the only, the one thing that I would say be very careful of if you decide for one reason or another that you want to use projected score to sort your lineups is in high correlation sports, you should absolutely double check your stack types um, because that is the one thing where, you know, if we look at, if we look at the sliders here for a single entry 500 man contest, right? It's saying, well, Average projections actually work pretty good. We don't need too much variance. Uh, we don't need to worry too much about ownership. Correlation is still very important. And when you sort by when you sort by Saber score, we're taking correlation into account. We're saying, you know, the core, the overall correlation of the lineup matters, and we should we should play a lineup that is more correlated. When you're turning projected, when you're sorting by projected score, you basically remove that component and you say whether whether or not the lineup's correlated doesn't really matter to us. And you can see in this case, we're still getting a five stack because this line, the pool of lineups, the lineups in our pool are still most, they were still built to be correlated, but you may not get the most correlated lineup anymore. So if you're going to sort by projected score, one of my favorite things to do here is to just make sure that it's you're still playing a stack type that you want. So, you know, I might not want to play a naked five stack if I was just playing a 500-man single entry on a 14-game slate. So maybe I'm okay playing a 5-2, um, something like that. So, but short answer, is it okay to use projected score in some smaller contests? Yes, you're probably fine. Is it optimal to use projected score in some smaller contests? Probably not. Unless there's some compelling, unless you give me some compelling reason uh, uh, above all else that you're you're doing it right, there's some reason that that it makes sense for you to sort by projected score. So, 
Um, and it looks like we were able to fix the issue for uh, for Chris, aka U U four. I call you U four because I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce the rest of that, but uh, sounds like that worked. Um, so, and I totally get it. That is why, I, in terms of uh, you said out at the field uh, at work with only phone access, I totally get it. I have been there. I have uh, I have pulled over uh, and parked my car to late swap my lineups on my phone many times, especially during NBA season. Um, so I get sometimes that sometimes you got to work with what you got. And that's why SaberSim is, is mobile optimized. So, um, but, um, and then Patrick said, League of Legends is about correlation. I noticed when I play three maxes or single entry and adjust entrance selection to the correct contest, the slider for correlation was set to zero for 10 to hundred entrance. Uh, but I set it to 100 to a thousand entrance selection to give me some correlation. Um, Let's go take a look. Let's go take a look. Um, so the one thing here, okay. So this is like, yeah, okay. So this is one of those things. So uh, let's see, one sec. Okay. So sometimes you'll see this. Uh, this is true of like small League of Legends slates or NFL showdown. Um, or, or any showdown virtually really, um, where you, you can essentially, you get the correlation in your lineups automatically because it's showing through in the simulations itself, right? This correlation slider is essentially how much do we want to add on the average correlation to the projections that players scored in their individual simulations already, right? So like if you're building lineups here for, for League of Legends, and let's say you're building for this particular contest, right? Well, we're building lineups based on an average projection of three sims per lineup, right? So if we build this here, um, right? We are likely to get stacks because within a given set of three simulations per lineup, those players are likely to be correlated anyway, right? So if we look at these here in just a moment, we don't need to add on average correlation here above and beyond what is showing up in the simulations because we are going to get stack types automatically because in those sims, it takes a stack to be optimal. Um, even if we come down here, right, and pick like a smaller field. So you said like 10 to 100 entrants, right? We should still see that we are getting pretty stacked lineups because even in a bigger bucket of sims, most of the time, A, a better team is like most of the time in even in a bigger bucket of game simulations right like it makes sense that a four three type stack would be optimal so for for contest types where the correlation shows shows through very naturally in the simulations themselves you'll often see this and this is true for for things like league of legends and an nfl showdown in particular um in in baseball, for example, if you say, well, what, like, if we just look at single, like if we ran a research build and just looked at single game simulations for every game on the slate and look like, hey, what does the optimals look like on a slate like tonight? Well, you're going to find that you need some average correlation or you'll never get a stack, right? Like if you just say, hey, what is the actual highest scoring optimal you can make on a 14 game baseball slate? It will never be stacked, but you don't need the highest scoring optimal to win in baseball. So it makes sense for us to basically turn correlation on and add that as another layer, basically, is kind of one way to look at it here. So that's the why. Um, 
it, Patrick says here, I didn't like what it uh, spew <laughs> spew out. Wow, that's that's a very descriptive verb uh, choice there uh, with zero correlation, uh, and that's fine. Um, if that's the case, turn correlation up. Uh, or set a stacking rule, or edit your exposures to your stacks in the post-build process. There's no problems with that at all. Um, you know, again, especially I would say, you know, for the smaller sports in particular, for for baseball or something like that, right? Larger, larger sport for football, right? I feel like you know we definitely have a higher degree of confidence with where our default sliders are set, things like that. Um, well, my mouse. Do you guys see my my mouse is moving? It's kind of spooky. I don't know what's going on there. There might be like a piece of dirt in a sensor or something like that. Um, anyway, for smaller sports, right? Uh, I would say that our level of confidence about where those default sliders are set is a little bit lower, right? If you feel like correlation should be more valued, average correlation should be more valued in League of Legends and you're running a test build and not liking the kind of constructions you're getting with this set at zero, turn this up. On, on league in particular, this is going to have a huge impact, right? These correlations are super high. Turning correlation up even just a couple notches typically has an enormous impact on your lineups. Um, in football, basketball, baseball, those are kind of like our big three. Uh, the, the, there's a much larger history of contests from which to backtest, uh, and our degree of confidence is much higher in those sliders uh, overall. I would be, you know, if you told me you wanted to go and change every slider for a football main slate or for a baseball main slate, I'd probably say, hey, like, back up a little bit. What are you trying to accomplish? Maybe there's some other ways to do this. Like, maybe that strategy is not as, as airtight. But, you know, if you told me for League of Legends or for tennis, right, that you felt, you know, maybe you're a skilled tennis DFS player and you felt like, hey, I, I want to make some changes to the sliders, I definitely would say feel feel more comfortable doing that on smaller sports. So Patrick, so you're saying esport is not a real sport. Well, not, not, not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying on the smaller sports where contests are smaller, uh, maybe where the sports have been around for less time. Um, there's just less, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's less information to go on and our default sliders are, are going to be a little bit more where we intuitively think they should be rather than in a sport like baseball, basketball, or football, where we've analytically, really tested them uh, and kind of proven where they should be. So um, so Robert asks, uh, how often do you see nights where lower saber score lineups outperform higher saber score lineups in baseball? Uh, this is kind of a tricky question. It kind of depends on how you are defining this or like how you are looking at this, right? A lot of times when people ask this question, it comes in the form of why was my number one saber score lineup not the highest scoring lineup or put another way why why did saber score not one to one perfectly predict my highest actual scoring lineups right like it's likely that somewhere in your pool of 1500 lineups uh there is some lineup that outscored some lineup with a lower saber score that outscored a lineup with a higher saber score right that's probably happens 100% of nights um but in general i would say over the long term based on what we've done in our back testing Saber score correlates to higher expected value of those lineups, right? That's the other thing you got to remember too. Is is saber score actually is is very specifically not intended to be highest high like highest likelihood of scoring a lot of points, right? That's not what we are trying to quantify. We are trying to quantify expected value for the contest you are playing, right? So we actually may we actually if you're playing especially a large field GPP, uh, a 150 max large field GPP, you may have lineups 
that we know are less likely to score more points on average, but rated higher based on Sabre score than some other arbitrary lineup, because when that lineup scores a lot of points or when that lineup has a high finish, it's a very profitable lineup. It makes its expected value very high. Maybe it very aggressively fades ownership. Uh, It's very contrarian. Maybe it's directly leveraged against some of the chalky plays so that, you know, when, when your Cincinnati and when your Cincinnati stack that fades Garrett Cole and Coors completely tonight, when that lineup takes first in a contest, it only needs to score 178, 170 DraftKings points. Whereas when your Garrett Cole and Coors stack scores 178 points, 170 points, it doesn't even come in the top 5%, right? Do you see what I'm saying? So there's kind of, there's kind of twofold twofold things at play here. One is that we're not, Sabre score is not what, what the lineups are most likely to score the highest on average. It's what lineups are going to have the highest expected value for that contest. And two, the way we kind of think about this is over the long term, over the course of a, a season of simulations, does Sabre score correlate with a lineup that is more likely to have a higher ROI or expected value over the long term? Um, on any given night, it's very likely that you can pick out some lineup with a lower Sabre score that outscored some lineup with a higher Sabre score. And it's very unlikely that Sabre score perfectly correlates to actual actual performance. Um, so I guess with all that said, it's something that we've tested before, right? We we feel confident about the value of Sabre score. That's why it's a part of the app. Uh, it is the target of some of the next back testing we want to do. So right now we're in the midst of a project uh, working on our sliders, um, re-back testing them, re-optimizing them, uh, re-just kind of thinking how we how we set sliders for different contest buckets, different sports, different slate sizes. Um, once that project is wrapped, I guess, and we've implemented whatever we want to uh, from there, the next project we want to dive into on kind of the back testing uh, and data side of things uh, is investigating Saber Score and um, you know, one kind of quantifying that relationship and seeing how well, how well do we actually, how well does Saber score actually do what it's supposed to do? Um, how, how much, how rigidly should you stick to Saber score, right? I always talk about on this stream, I use Saber score as a tiebreaker, right? Um, I, I will, I will let Saber score help decide what lineups I'm going to take with me into my contest only after I've made all the other changes I want to make in the post build process. That's how, that's how I use Saber score. That's how I recommend people use Saber score. But what that is essentially saying is that Saber score is less valuable than the adjustments I'm making in the post build process. And I believe that to be true right now, but it might be wrong. So that's one of the things we want to test as well. Like maybe, you know, maybe we should be telling people trust Saber score uh, above all else. I don't think that's what's likely to come out of our analysis, but maybe it does. Um, or maybe we want to make some tweaks to it or something like that. So, um, cool. Uh, Patrick says, is late swap still a must for summer league? I imagine so. Um, I, based on, again, my, my understanding of summer league is somewhat limited, but, um, in my experience, the most important thing is basically just having the starting lineups, right? And because not every game starts at the same time and because starting lineups come out even more casually and right before lock than they do for regular season, um, I would say late swap is probably just as, if not more important in summer league basketball than NBA, right? 
So, um, okay. And then uh, jump over to this question here. I wanted to let this one be one of the the latter questions we answered on today's stream, just because I think it's I don't know. I think it's it's kind of an interesting one. Um, but he said, hey, Jordan, this is from Mr. T. Uh, maybe a difficult question to answer here, but how do you deal with the dichotomy of wanting SaberSim users to do well uh, while obviously wanting your own entries to do well? Um, how do you separate the two slightly contrasting ideas? Uh, or do you see the potential for us all to do well? Thanks for your hard work. You're a great resource. Uh, and we appreciate you. Thank you, first of all, for saying that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I this isn't something that I would say consciously pops into my mind very often, but it did... You know, it made me think about it a little bit when you mentioned it here. Um, you know, I think there's I think there's a couple things at play. First of all, you know, my goal with this show, like, is not ever to give out picks or like my potential strategy of what I'm doing on that particular slate. It is always to give people tools and um knowledge to kind of build their own individual process of of what that kind of looks like for them. Right. Um, and I think that's 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 kind of like the the point of what SaberSim is all about here, right? Is is stripping back some of the like picks and um you know that kind of content and that kind of analysis and more like what are the actual concepts and strategies you need to be successful. Um, you know, I also think we are we're we're a little bit of a bubble here, right? Where, you know, I mean this this show is a bubble uh, within a larger subset of the SaberSim community at large. Uh, the SaberSim community at large is kind of a small subset of what I would say of DFS content and tools consumers, which is a smaller bubble of the overall player base of DFS. Um, so I guess all of that is to say is that I, I don't think, unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, but I think uh, just being honest, I don't think what I go on here and say on this show on any given day really moves the needle of what like the DFS player base is doing on that particular day. Um, and I root like hell for all of you guys with the SaberSim avatars every single time I see everybody in the lobby. Um, so I, I don't have any selfish incentive to try to like lead somebody the wrong direction uh, or something like that um, so that my lineups stand to perform better. Um, but um Interesting question here. I mean, I think it is an interesting thought experience, a thought experiment just in general about DFS content, uh, because it, at the end of the day, it is zero sum, right? Um, and it goes both ways, right? Like people don't like DFS content um, made by people that aren't playing DFS, right? Um, but then there's also the caveat of like, if you are playing, you know, and, and especially maybe if you're giving out picks, is it in your financial interest to give out exactly what you're going to do that slate? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but no, I don't know. I, I think this question is ultimately, you know, about in, in integrity. Um, and I always try to come on here and, and answer questions uh, with integrity and, and honesty and uh, like how I actually would recommend doing things. So, um, but I hope that helps. Interesting question. It's the first time I've been answered or, or been asked that. And I think it is an interesting question here um, to address. So, but on a, on a, I guess a lighter note, Patrick says the mustache game is strong with MLB Strider Cease and Carpenter. Pete Alonso also has a blonde mustache. That is true. Uh, we've got a, uh, we've got quite a mustache slate here on tap. Um, so we've got all those guys playing tonight, right? Carpenter Cease is, Cease is pitching. Yes. Yes, sir. 
and Strider's pitching tonight, we have uh, quite a good-looking mustache slate here. Uh, Robert said, very cool. Would a lineup saver score be affected by the pool size? Uh, for example, an identical lineup in the pool of 500 versus 1,500 would saver score stay constant for that lineup? Uh, saber score. Ooh, that is a good question. Okay. I, I'm going to answer this question on a practical level because I think that's what's important here. Um, this is a, on a theoretical level. I'm not entirely sure what the answer to this. So on a practical level, saber score should only ever, saber score is local to a build and it is relative to a build, right? So when you build a, when you build lineups for a particular build, right, it is, it's taking the sliders that you built here. Um, but most importantly, it's taking the the actual scores of what players scored in the simulations that were used to build that lineup. And those become the inputs that ultimately determine the Sabre score of a lineup. So when we come over here, basically, I'll give you an example. So when we come over here to this build and look at this, and so this was our single entry build, right? And we're looking at this lineup here. Oh, what? It's kind of weird. Hang on. Um, okay. Let's look at a bigger pool here. Okay. So if we look at like this random lineup, right? Saber score 94.8, this lineup, this is, this is means within the context of this build set at these sliders, uh, and with the simulations used to build this lineup for this particular build, it, it scores 94.8, which is, which is like a relative, difference between this lineup that scores 95.2 and this lineup that scores 94.3. Uh, and it should only be used to determine that. It is not saying that this lineup's absolute score and in any in any different build in which this lineup appears, it will always be scored at 94.8. This is only a rel this is a relative and a local calculation. It should really only be used to compare lineups from one from within one build to other lineups in that same build. Um, with that said, on the theoretical standpoint, um, like, I guess, let me put it this way. Hypothetically, if you could make this pool bigger, right? So if you could just say all of a sudden build another 1000 lineups with the same settings in this build still, that would not change the Sabre score of this, this lineup. Um, but Sabre scores are relative to a build. They are, they are, they are comparing one lineup to another and they are local to a build. So. Um, Patrick said, I notice when a team plays a double header, they tend to score a lot when they're on the main slate. I tend to fade those games who play double because of fatigue. Is it wrong to think that way? Um, this feels kind of like more noise than signal to me, right? I, I would probably want to, this feels like probably seeing a pattern in, in a small sample set, um, that maybe isn't there. I think maybe it'd be interesting uh, I, I'm open to having my mind changed here. Um, but I think it would be something that you'd probably want to go back and research a little bit more and dig into and see, you know, does by some metric, I don't know, do, do, uh, teams playing in double headers, like tend to, uh, go over the implied run total more often than not. Right. Um, or something like that. Um, because it, I, I think it's probably, probably just a little bit noisy here personally that's that's like where my head's at um but i like on the fatigue thing 
you know, teams rotate those lineups and different players play on the second leg of the, the doubleheader. I think the manager probably probably isn't going to play anyone that is so fatigued that it affects their performance in the second game. Um, but these kinds of things, I always think too, you know, like good opportunities to go digging up and, and doing a little bit of your own your own research and seeing um, seeing what you can find. Because sometimes, sometimes I think there is signal out there in this kind of stuff where, you know, maybe other people aren't, aren't really thinking about it that way, but yeah. Cool. I don't see any other questions coming in here. Um, feel free to fire away at me. If anybody else has any other questions, we'll hang on for a couple minutes to let some questions here, uh, trickle in if there's anything at the last second. Um, but Otherwise, we will begin to wrap up today's show. As always, as I always mention here towards the end uh, of the streams here, uh, if you've been following along, listening along, watching along, or maybe you catch the recording of this show uh, and you are not already signed up with SaberSim, uh, we are the only DFS lineup optimizer in the industry that has a totally free seven-day trial. Um, So you can come check us out for seven days, totally free, uh, a full week. Uh, on our site, sabersim.com, big green button, start my free trial uh, and get it going there. Um, so uh, a good question here uh, from Robert. Uh, how realistic are the Sims? I've got questions for days. Uh, Robert, I will direct you here uh, to a couple videos on our YouTube channel that will go far more into detail into this than I can do on the stream here. Uh, for all of our, for all of like, actually really for all of our sports, Uh, at either the start of a new season or when we publish the model for that sport, we will do an interview stream where I have Matt and Will and Eric or some combination of those guys who actually build the models come on here and talk a little bit about them. Uh, And they're all up on our YouTube channel. So if you want to know like what goes into the baseball Sims, how does it work? Uh, We have this video, how the best MLB DFS simulator works. Uh, We did this three months ago uh, around opening day and Will and Matt who are, uh, who were the key contributors this season to the baseball Sims came on and talked about how it works. Um, if you want to see how the MMA Sim works, uh, which will had a huge hand in building uh, crush MMA DFS with the power of simulations, right? Uh, breaks down the, um, the uh, MMA simulations. We have these for like all of the major sports here. Um, so uh, formula one Sims, NASCAR simulations. So how all these things are put together. The next one uh, that we will very likely be putting out will be for football um, when we get uh, when we get a little bit closer to football season. So, um, and then from there, if you have questions about anything you hear in those videos, I'd be happy to to talk about those a little bit on stream here. Um, but they uh, the videos, as it were, uh, go into far detail, far more detail than I can typically do here. Uh, and and those are the guys that actually build the models. So. Um, Definitely makes sense to go to the primary source there, but cool. Um, Patrick's at a large MLB slate tonight. Is there a specific strategy to attack such a large slate? Six to eight games is easier to have a strategy. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, there definitely are. Um, I mean, I think there's a couple things. So first of all, I guess there's kind of a couple, a couple ways of thinking about this. So a lot of times I do kind of like one thing I'll like to do is I will, I'll let both I'm trying to think about the right way to say this. So I'll, I have a few things uh, on. I will. Oh God, I'm all tongue tied now. Let me, let me start over here. 
I will let the default sliders for that particular contest and slate size help influence my overall strategy uh, of how I want to address uh, address that particular slate size. And I've also learned some things, I would say anecdotally about my process, about how I want to tackle different size slates. Uh, on one thing, so first of all, for a 14 game baseball slate, one of the things that I typically want to do uh, is I typically want to correlate aggressively, right? There's 14 games on this slate. And that means two things. One is that I think there's a much higher probability that one of the teams playing tonight has a very high outlier ceiling performance, which would make a five stack, a four stack more viable. And two, because there are so many players in the pool, it's likely that the top lineup to take down a large field GPP isn't really going to come close to the actual highest scoring lineup. So if I can build a five stack of the Astros who score 12 runs, it's probably likely that just getting a lot of those raw points from that team is enough to, to get me by. So I typically on large slates, like 12 games plus 10 games plus even, I start becoming a little bit more rigid with what stack types I'm willing to have. And I typically don't really like on slates like these to have any more than one uncorrelated player. Um, and sometimes I don't even want to have any. So I'm saying I'll play four threes, four fours, five twos, and five threes. And sometimes it's just five threes and four fours where I'm basically maximizing my correlation because I think it's it's just, it's just uh, it's the easiest way to build a high upside lineup. Um, second, ownership becomes an interesting thing here as well. Ownership will start to spread out quite a bit. Um, and I think there are less inefficient ownership situations. So I, I'm valuing ownership a little bit less. Typically, what I have found is even on a slate where there isn't course, uh, I, there will be one or two teams where it seems like ownership is gravitating very heavily towards. Um, and I will I will maybe fade or maybe maybe cap my exposure a little bit to that particular team, um, but otherwise worry less about ownership, right? So, you know, we can even see this here. We'll run a research build real quickly here just so I can demonstrate some of this. Um, and I'll talk about this a little bit here. But... Um, we'll let, I'll let this build here. Uh, while this is building, um, Patrick says, uh, having a tighter player pool help crossing off games that have a low total. I personally don't do either of those things. Um, those, both of those are somewhat captured in the fact that the default slider for sim precision will be lower on a larger slate, right? On a four-game slate, if you're playing a large field GPP, your sim precision might be nine or ten. So you're using a very small bucket of sims for each lineup, which is going to, one, it's going to allow games and teams that have a low total to show up in your lineups more, and it's going to increase the size of your player pool, at least relatively speaking. Uh, on a large slate where the sim precision slider is going to be a little bit lower, I think by default it's like four or five or six here. Um, that's going to value the average projections a little bit more, which means you're going to get teams and games and players that do have a higher total uh, and a smaller, relatively speaking, size player pool. When I say relatively speaking, I'm talking about in re relative to the size of the entire player pool, right? So to me, those things are kind of naturally captured in the actual build uh, of, of lineups you're building. But um, I'll talk a little bit more here about what I mean. So you can actually see see with the ownership thing, you can, you can visually see this in a research build, right? Um, if we go over here and look like 
what does the ownership, what does the, what does the leverage look like on ownership? Because ownership is spreading out a little bit more, you can see there's not as many inefficient spots, right? Like clearly the Padres look like they're going to be a little bit overowned tonight, right? They don't really jump off the page as a team that is far and away more likely to be the highest, the best performing team, right? But they are going to be owned, what, 20, 20 to 30%, maybe the lower guys in the order, 15 to 20%, right? So you, to me, like there's kind of this one big fade spot for hitters. So on larger slates, that's how I kind of think about it is rather than thinking about how am I going to leverage every single ownership spot on the entire slate? What's the one situation I want to be cautious of tonight? It's probably the Padres uh, and going from there. So yeah, um, just kind of, I guess, quickly to summarize large slate things for me. Um, so then ultimately here, let's like, let's actually, let's actually then do a build. So let's say now I'm building my 150, right? And I'm going to build, eh, yeah, let's do 150 here. So now with these two things in mind, what am I going to do? First, I'm probably going to make sure that my lineups are a little bit more correlated than normal. I want bigger stacks. Uh, and two, I'm going to be cautious mostly of ownership on the one stack that I think is going to be inefficiently owned, and that's the Padres. Um, I'll kind of basically allow probably most of the other ways that I'm I'm handling this particular slate to kind of work itself out. Um, so, uh, Danny says, uh, this is a funny question. Danny says, is having a lineup with all leadoff batters batting first, a highly correlated lineup? Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to answer this question in good faith. Uh, I think I'm getting, I think that, I think that uh, I'm getting trolled here. Um, the, the good faith answer to this is no. <laughs> um, well, this is a hilarious question. Um, no, uh, one, one, one leadoff hitter, uh, does not impact the performance of another, uh, leadoff hitter in baseball playing in a totally different game. Um, I, I want, I want to, I want to answer this question in, in, in good faith, just because I, you never know. Um, but I feel like I'm, uh, I'm being a total nerd right now answering it that way. Uh, it's about as correlated as Patrick's, uh, all mustache lineup. Um, so. Um, anyway, so coming back over here. Okay. So I, one thing I would do is probably review my stack types, right. And probably do a little bit of cleanup here. I mentioned, and actually in reality, I'd probably just set a stacking rule. Uh, but for simplicity's sake here, I am just going to remove a bunch of lineups from my pool that don't have the big stack types that I'm looking to get on a slate like this. Right. Um, so maybe I'm okay playing like one uncorrelated player per lineup. So maybe something like this. Five twos, five threes, four threes, four fours, right? Maximizing those correlations, giving myself the, the best chance at having um, a lineup with uh with a really high, really high upside outcome. And then I would probably this isn't that bad, actually, 25% Padres given their their uh, run total, but I would probably just be a little bit careful with Padres overall. Um, and one thing I might do here is just make sure that I'm half the field on every Padres bat. So I might say that I'm, you know, going like max 10% um, on a lot of these guys. And it, it doesn't have to be an exact science, but something like that would probably work pretty good. And that'll bring me down a little bit lower. So probably, probably getting, probably getting pretty close to a lineup portfolio that I would play here. So good question though. And uh, I think with that, we'll go ahead and uh, and call it there. So enjoy the slate tonight. 
Um, I will be right back here again tomorrow, same time. Actually, wait, wait, wait. Before I say that, I will be back here again tomorrow, one hour later than normal. Uh, so we will be live 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Uh, we did the same thing last Wednesday. Um, so just pushing it back one hour later there. Uh, so um, enjoy this late tonight. I will see you tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, good luck and take care. See you, everybody.